0: Our scripture reading today comes from Malachi 2, 10 to 16. You can find it in your pew Bibles starting on page 801, or you can pull it up on your Bible apps. The ESV ESV version of the text will be displayed on the screen. Again, that's Malachi 2, 10 to 16. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why, then, are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendants of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And the second thing you do. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife, but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Uh, This morning, Pastor Pat will preach to us on the topic, Betraying God.
1: As we continue in our sermon series, A Wake-Up Call, we delve deeper into the heart of Malachi's dispute, awaking us from spiritual indifference and revitalizing a bond with God. Today, we confront betraying God, but let's not neglect what we heard in our last message, dishonoring God. Therein, we recall that God, our Father and Master, deserves our utmost honor and reverent worship. It's to be a joyous privilege rather than some tireless obligation. Yet, the Israelites, particularly those priests, failed to uphold this, presenting tainted sacrifices and viewing worship as a chore. This is a poignant reminder for us to scrutinize our hearts as we explore the implications of today's message. Now, I would like you to picture this tale. We stand in this lush, vibrant garden and there's this single fruit that is missing from the tree that is in its heart. Of course, this is Eden the scene of humanity's first betrayal of God's trust, casting a long shadow over our faithfulness. Yet even this betrayal, God's grace shines through it, offering redemption and underscoring his deep aversion to betrayal. Today, we go through Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 to 16, and in it we will explore betrayal and unfaithfulness to God's covenant, a theme echoing the Eden story. We'll dive into God's view on marital unfaithfulness as it reflects as a mirror on our relationship with him and our faith community. As you'll see, this isn't just an ancient issue. It's a reflection of our hearts, our actions, and choices that we make. It resonates in our relationships, commitments, and daily life, but our journey does not end in despair. It leads into grace. In understanding our unfaithfulness, we grasp the magnitude of God's enduring faithfulness, a love that pursues us even in our deepest betrayals. Our exploration hinges on this truth. Betraying God through unfaithfulness brings spiritual consequences. But acknowledging God's disdain for betrayal and his longing for covenant faithfulness prompts us to repent and to mend our broken relationships. As we set out, remember, we're in this together, driven by our shared commitment to seek God's heart. So let's open our minds and be ready to wrestle with God's message today. For this exploration is a gift to us all as an opportunity to grow, to repent, to restore, and to experience God's grace. Together, we can blaze a path. faithfulness, reflecting God's covenant love in our everyday lives. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, open your heart to your truth. Show us the pain of betrayal, yet the beauty of your enduring faithfulness. Guide us towards repentance and restoration, and let us reflect your covenant love in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, As we turn to our passage and begin specifically with these verses 10 to 12, we are confronted with an unequivocal illustration of unfaithfulness as betrayal, as betrayal against the covenant of God. You see, from the priests to the people, their disobedience paints a distressing portrait of a nation that is adrift spiritually. These verses stand as a mirror, as it reflects not just the ancient Israelites, but it reflects us here today. You see, this passage gives us a look into a scene where unfaithfulness shrouds a nation. You can think of it like a dense fog. It's obscuring the path of loyalty to God and to one another. This is a story we all know too well, how easy it is for us to stray, to falter in our commitments to God, to each other, and to ourselves. Now, you can imagine as you're walking through a city on a foggy day, you're disoriented and lost, unable to see the buildings right in front of you. This was God's people, lost in the fog of unfaithfulness. They had wandered so far off the path that they were marrying those who didn't share their faith. You see, this was not just about a person's choice of a spouse. It was about a sacred covenant, a promise with God being broken. This covenant, again, is like a mirror. What do we see in it? We see a reflection of God's relationship with us, a relationship built on truth, love, and commitment. But what happens when that mirror is shattered? The consequences, Crossbridge, can't be quite grave. Let's look at verses 10 to 12. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then, Are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves and has buried the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. In verse 10, behind that word faithless is this Hebrew word bagat. And it's as if that word is whispering to us across the centuries. What's it saying? It speaks of deception. It speaks of a broken agreement. It tells a story where the Israelites weren't just caught up in their misdeeds. They had literally torn apart the fabric of their sacred commitments. It was as if they had taken a cherished family heirloom and ripped it apart, thread by thread. And with each thread, they were not just destroying their own moral compass, but they were literally unraveling that communal bond they shared as the children of one father. This father, our father, our sacred heritage, was now watching his children betray him, reject his love, and forget their unity. Now, there is another term in these verses, abomination. It's like a flashing red light. It's a warning for us of the severity of Judah's transgressions. When he chose to marry those who worship false gods, it was as though they had entered the sanctuary, the sacred holy place for worship, and they defiled it. They were not just betraying their faith. They were betraying their marriage covenant. It's like a spouse leaving their partner for another. This reflects to us a contemporary scenario where one Christian decides to marry a a non-Christian, someone who we would say is unequally yoked, a non-believer, diluting their faith and inviting trouble. And so as we listen to the author prophet's words here, we can hear the harsh rebuke, reproving voice of God, like a loving parent that's reprimanding a wayward child, The rhetorical question that we read in verse 10. What is it? Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? It's a call to action and a reminder of our shared responsibility as believers and of our unity in faith. Throughout the tapestry of Malachi's narrative, one strong cord of truth is woven God treasures faithfulness, especially within the sacred bond of marriage. And breaking these bonds comes with significant consequences. It reminds us that our commitments to God and others should not be taken lightly. Each act of unfaithfulness leaves a mark. But God's love is always there, ready to welcome us back, to heal, and to restore. Now, how does all of this apply to us today? Well, I'll give you a picture of a couple where one partner is a devout Christian and the other is indifferent to faith. They're not necessarily faith, they're not necessarily Buddhist, a Hindu, a Muslim, but they're just indifferent to faith. Okay? Um, If the Christian gives priority to worldly affection over divine love, then they too are wandering off a path like the Israelites. You see, it's not about worshiping in golden idol. It's about deciding who shapes and who forms our devotions. So as we go through on our faith journey, this call to covenant faithfulness acts like a beacon. It draws and leads us to honor our commitments, to be true to our spouse, to our community, and most importantly, to our God. It's a stern warning, but it's also a gentle reminder that the essence of our covenant with God isn't merely about checking that box of obedience. It's about deepening a relationship filled with love and faithfulness. So let's be looking at Christ's example and embody his unity and faithfulness Let's remember our shared heritage under our Heavenly Father and the bond that links us. Let's face our personal and collective faith journeys with courage, remembering that repentance is a path back to God's love. Let's pray for the strength to resist betraying God's covenant and the courage to live a life of steadfast faithfulness, it's in that space of grace and commitment that we can truly see the glory of God. And it's through our lived experiences that, can, that we can share his love with the world. Now, as we venture yet deeper in today's message, we come to a crucial juncture in our narrative, the consequences of betrayal. Here, the prophetic voice of Malachi rings out in verses 13 and 14. His voice carries this divine admonishment of God himself. It's a stern reproof to the Israelites for their flagrant unfaithfulness. But it's not just some random unfaithfulness. As we saw in verse 10, Malachi uses that particular word, bagad, which encapsulates this toxic mix of treachery, dishonesty, and faithlessness. You see, the Israelites, the people of God, had broken their vows, their sacred pledges made before God himself. And despite this, they dared to seek his blessings, expecting God to shower them with his favor. You see, it's like a friend who betrays you. And then that friend wonders why you ghost him and why you refuse to have lunch with him. It's absurd, isn't it? Yet this is what is reflected in a broken relationship between the Israelites and with God. Now, let's step into the shoes of an adolescent and let's just call him Matthew. uh, And let's set this in our modern-day context. Matthew juggles academics and sports and all sorts of extracurricular activities, and he even goes to Bible quizzing. He strives to excel in every domain of life. He pleases his parents. However, under pressure, he finds him drawn into this murky waters of academic dishonesty. He's cheating his ways to good grades. Yet every Friday evening, he stands with his fellow youth, and he's singing songs of praise, and perhaps even serving in the youth servant and youth worship teams. He wonders, though, why does he feel so distant from God? In a striking parallel to the Israelites, Matthew too is stuck in this cycle, living a life punctuated by faithlessness while expecting God's blessings. Let's look at these verses in Malachi. And this is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and sighing, because he no longer gives attention to the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously though she is your marriage companion and your wife by covenant, verse 16. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of armies. So be careful about your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. And that comes from the New American Standard Bible. Malachi's tone reverberates with his earnest admonition as he unveils the people's sin-streaked behaviors, their unfaithfulness taking center stage. The phrase, I hate divorce, in verse 16, brought to life here in the New American Standard Bible, but also in the New Living Translation, it underscores God's deep-seated revulsion any form of betrayal within the sacred bond of marriage. Betrayal fractures not only our earthly bonds, but it severs our spiritual tether to God, leading to this cascade of spiritual consequences. Through the lens of grace, we can reframe Malachi's stern warning. We can say God values the spirit of faithfulness behind our vows not just the vows themselves. He values the spirit behind it and not just the vows. When these vows, especially the ones woven into the fabric of marriage, are broken, it's a profound transgression that disrupts our interconnectedness with God and others. However, God's heart still throbs for forgiveness. His arms forever open for repentance and restoration, You see, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus amplifies his call for heartfelt fidelity. You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with, with her in his heart. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This amplification by Jesus urges us not only to resist that physical act of divorce, but cautions us against even those simmering thoughts of lust. He calls us to a holistic fidelity that pulses from the heart, touching every relationship, honoring the wisdom to guard our hearts, aligning our motives and thoughts with God's standards of purity. You see, guarding our hearts is the very linchpin of spiritual life. It's not merely about somehow sidestepping some sinful behavior, but it's about nurturing an inner purity that permeates our every thought, word, and deed. We see the Israelites in verses 13 to 14 offering their sacrifices with an unguarded heart, a stark betrayal of their vows to God. Their offerings were rejected because their hearts were not aligned with God. Proverbs 4.23 advises us, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. So when we speak of guarding our hearts, it's not simply about skirting around betrayal or faithlessness. It encompasses an earnest dedication to uphold our commitments to God and others, synchronizing our motivations and thoughts with God's divine standards. You see, when we let our hearts wander, we risk stretching our sacred bonds leading to a spiritual rupture and disconnect with God, replete with spiritual consequences. Just as the Israelites were called to guard their hearts to preserve their marital fidelity, we too, in all of our relationships, whether they're marital, friendly, or divine, we are called to vigilantly guard our hearts. As a faith community, we're commissioned to model Christ's unwavering fidelity. Upholding this virtue binds us deeper in God's love, deepens vital relationship, and imparts a peace that's born of a divine bond. Such dedication to fidelity emboldens us to seek forgiveness and reconciliation that restores broken commitments and redeems faithlessness. So let's embrace this calling. Let's guard our hearts, keep our commitments, and preserve our faithfulness to God and to one another. This isn't merely about fortifying relationships. It's about cultivating a deep-seated bond with God. And through this, we can metaphorically hold open the floodgates of his divine blessings, love, and grace revealing his glory and grace in all of its magnificence. Okay, take a deep breath because I'm going to lead us in a deeper dive into the heart of Malachi and my third point, God's perspective on betrayal. Verses 15 to 16 offers us a very intense and up-close view of God's relationship with his covenant people. Now, okay, bear bear with me. It's time to clear your masks, check your air tanks, as we dive yet deeper and examine God's view of betrayal. We'll We'll need to pass through a thermocline that is found in the details. You see, the interpretation of this verse varies significantly between those two translations due to differing philosophies and how translators handle an ambiguous Hebrew text. It's like looking at a coral reef, but from a different perspective, each revealing its unique features. So picture this. The New American Standard Bible is, as I've said, is similar to the New Living Translation, is like a dive guide who points out the features to us in the most literal ways and using hand hand signs that are intuitive, right? The ESV, on the other hand, seeks to bring us back in time, letting us view and to experience that reef as it was, using the words and structures of the original language that may be harder for us to grasp. Are you still with me? So here are the particulars. In the ESV, we read, For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence. Contrast that with the New American Standard. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong. Now, can you spot the difference? it all hinges on the interpretation of a single Hebrew phrase that translates literally, for he hates sending away. Okay, who's the he? So the ESV identifies he as a man who divorces his wife, focusing on the man's action and resulting symbolic violence. It's like staining a pure white garment. But if we look at the New American Standard it interprets he as referring to God, casting the spotlight on God's feelings and about divorce. To use another metaphor, these two divergent views are like two sides of a coin. The New American Standard emphasizes God's view of divorce, revealing it as something he hates. The ESV, while acknowledging God's hate for divorce, focuses instead on the man's actions— and the subsequent spiritual violence. Both translations bring out the gravity of divorce and the betrayal of covenant faithfulness, but the New American Standard gives a vivid impression of God's personal feelings about divorce, while the ESV stresses the harms of divorce. Now, let's return to God's perspective on betrayal as expressed in verses 15 to 16. These verses depict God's active role in marriage, portraying it as a spiritual union that cannot be broken without causing damage. It's like a master craftsman that is shaping a delicate piece of pottery. It's beautiful. It may be unique, but it can be broken if mishandled. Now, consider the Israelites of Malachi's time. They were were literally casting off their wives to marry foreign women. They were shattering their sacred commitments like you would a piece of pottery. You see, this is a harsh betrayal, a violation of their covenant with God. And so we have God's phrase here, I hate divorce, found in verse 16, demonstrating God's strong disapproval. And so... Let me give you another way to think about it. Now, picture signing a contract in a business partnership. You see, it's not merely enough to avoid damaging the business. The partner is expected to contribute to to its success. Similarly, in a marriage, it's not enough for a husband just to avoid divorce, but he must also love her and labor to build a robust, wholesome marriage. You see, through Malachi, God confronts the Israelites about their unfaithfulness as a stern reproof that's wrapped in divine grace. It's not just a rebuke, but a reminder. Unfaithfulness carries severe consequences. This underscores both the solemnity And sanctity that God holds us accountable to in his covenants. Then what are we to do about our conflicts? God's stance against divorce shows his preference for resolution over dissolution. Look at our faith. Christ's death and resurrection was the ultimate act of resolution providing the means to mend the broken relationship between humanity and God. This is God's grace, his unending desire for reconciliation and restoration. So in our relationships, be it family, friends, or romantic, conflict is inevitable. Yet, we're called to face these conflicts head-on, equipped with love, patience, and forgiveness. So let's be inspired by God's disdain for divorce, his grief over broken covenants. Let's resolve conflicts rather than avoid them. Let's uphold our commitments, and let's reflect God's faithfulness in our daily lives. We as a church community can aspire to inspire one another, nurture these virtues, and become light and salt to the world around us, We can uphold the sanctity of all the commitments we make under God. So let's be slow to seek an exit from a relationship when conflict arrives. Instead, let's follow Christ's example of selflessness, of patience, of unconditional love. The challenge is clear. We are to embody commitment, nurture faithfulness, and seek resolution over dissolution. We may be flawed and faithless, but God's guidance and grace, by it, we can strive to reflect his covenant love in our relationships. So Crossbridge, as the prophet Malachi has led us through this particular dispute, we have observed this chilling reality and consequence of betrayal. Yet, we're not left hopeless. For we have also seen the radiant beacon of God's enduring faithfulness. The stark contrast can, if we let it, lead us into reflection and reassessment. It's not an easy task, but one we can undertake with open hearts, keen to realign our paths with God's perfect design. Our God, the God of Israel, expresses a profound dislike for divorce and betrayal of covenant, signaling his steadfast dedication to faithfulness. Remember, he doesn't just hate divorce, but he feels the ache, the sting of betrayal, much like any of us do. Yet he remains a God of second chances. His arms remain wide open, welcoming us back every time we falter and fail. This shows us the way, guiding us through the turbulence of conflict in relationships and equipping us to reconcile with grace and courage. So let's choose to live God-pleasing lives, remembering the spiritual consequences of our actions, carrying the weight of our commitment seriously, and resolving to guard our hearts. Let's foster a culture of grace and forgiveness across Crossbridge. Let's seek resolution over dissolution. Let's mirror that selfless love that Christ demonstrated at the cross. We may stumble and fall, but let's get up again, assured of God's never-ending grace. Let's strive to reflect his unwavering covenant love in all our interactions, shining as light and salt in our world. You see, our journey is filled with trials but we're never alone. Let's go forth together, be it hand in hand, in the strength of the Lord and this faith community, upholding our commitments, fostering fidelity, and embracing God's love. As we close today, let's remember, in the face of betrayal, there is hope for our God as a God of restoration. In his infinite love, we find our refuge, strength, and the courage to press on, honoring him in all our relationships. Join me in prayer. Almighty God, may your loathing of betrayal move us towards faithfulness. Let the weight of our actions sink in and inspire us to change. Infuse us with your grace, guiding us towards repentance, reconciliation, and love. Help us to honor our commitments and reflect your covenant love in our relationships. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen.